if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now that, that's a long way around about saying you're going to be dead tomorrow by this time. And he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than, than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord, this is a theophany, this is a physical manifestation of God. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, here's the question, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, killed thy prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. I'm the only one who he can count on. <laughs> and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains, breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle breeze blowing. And it came about when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? There is something um, really tragic and sad about this picture of a man out in the desert, face down on the ground, begging to die, saying, This is enough of this. I'm ready to die. And what makes this so tragic is, this, is that this man is Elijah. This is Elijah here. This is a prophet of God. This is the man who called down fire on Carmel. The guy who took on the whole team 
and, and, and whipped it, got blindsided by a blitzing linebacker in the last quarter and got laid out of the game. This is Elijah. I don't know whether you noticed it or not, but he's the, he slew the entire army of Baal, the prophets of Baal, 400 of them, he killed by himself. This Elijah took on the whole army with all of the forces, the tanks and the heavy artillery, and he gets shot down with a sniper's bullet. There's something terribly tragic about this. Here's a man who stood in the greatest power that had ever been demonstrated in the Old Testament era, and he's running from a woman, running for his life. He's a prophet in depression. Now, it probably you know, surprises you that a prophet would get depressed, a preacher would get depressed. Shouldn't surprise you, everybody does. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher in the English language, got so depressed he got out of the pulpit, came to America for a time. Winston Churchill had periods of depression and became dysfunctional. Abraham Lincoln had times of depression. Everybody, I suppose, has, has a period of time, periods of time in his life where he just feels really the blues. You know, there's a difference, however, between, you know, having a bad hair day and, and what I'm seeing here. I mean, this is a man in deep despair, depression. What's it like? Well, if you could imagine a line running through your life, and above that line is light, and below that line is darkness. Above that line, you are in control of your emotions, and below the line, you're at the mercy of them. That's depression. The line are long periods of tearfulness where you cry without any uh, reason to cry. You have sleep disorder. You may want to sleep all the time. I mean, you may not want to ever get out of bed, face life, or you may not be able to sleep at all. Below the line are these deep episodes of foreboding doom and hopelessness, loss of energy and inertia, even pain or headaches. I'm talking about deep depression, and that's what this man experienced. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, I suppose that if we were to identify the most painful illness that is alive, that is present today for those of us, it would have to be the pain of depression. There is nothing quite like the pain that is endured by people who are going through depression. It would be interesting to, you know, list all the names of, how, of what, you know, people call depression. Um, John called it the dark night of the soul. The army calls it battle fatigue. Um, the average layman calls it burnout. <laughs> the psalmist said, out of the depths, out of the dumps, I cried unto thee. But what I'm talking about here is a depression that has is, is, is brought this prophet to a place in his life where he'd rather die than go on living. Now, what can God do about that kind of situation? And can God deal with depression for us? What can he do? What does he do? to help us get above the line of darkness and, and, and get on with life. Well, I think there are several things that, that this text suggests and practical things that I want to bring, that I want to suggest to you. Number one is that he deals with the total man. Now, 
one of the, one of the things that we, we need to understand is, is that we're, we're a complicated and complex creation. We're people of, we're physical people and emotional people and spiritual people. And all of these are aspects of the, of the total personality, the personhood. And when one of these aspects or uh, uh, factors of our personality or personhood is affected, all of them are. I mean, when you get physically fatigued, that's going to affect you spiritually and emotionally. And when you get emotionally drained and fatigued, that affects you physically. I mean, we're not a dichotomy. We are a complex mixture of all these kinds of, of experiences and emotions. So that's why God brought this man to a place where he, he, he put him to sleep and he woke him up and he gave him some protein and he put him back to sleep again so he could rest and he woke him up and he fed him again. And it's significant that there is this... Uh, this dialogue going on at the, at the same time where he's reminded that he needs to rest and he needs to eat. He needs to understand that there is a direct connection between what he's feeling physically and emotionally and spiritually and, and mentally. All of this is interrelated and connected. This guy, has, he's fatigued. I mean, he just got through running 19 miles ahead of Ahab's chariot I mean, his body throbs with physical fatigue. And he's been under tremendous spiritual stress. He's agonized in prayer to God. And there's nothing any more stressful and, and, and exhausting than to spend any amount of time in prayer to God. I mean, all of us are aware of how exhausting that is. I mean, whether you believe it or not, you know, I hear people kind of joke and say, well, all you do is preach a couple of hours on Sunday. Well, uh, it is, I can tell that went over big, but I, I, uh, I, there, there, you know, when I get home on Sunday night, I want to do two things. I want to collapse and I want to eat. I mean, it goes with the territory. I mean, it's exhausting to deal with spiritual, you know, in spiritual warfare. And this guy has been under a tremendous emotional stress. God sent him out to a little brook and he's been in solitary confinement for a, for a long period of time and for three years it wasn't a drop of rain in the land and they were blaming him for it. And so everybody must have thought, well, this, this troublemaker, this rabble rouser, and he lived under the stress of that. And when he got up on top of Mount Carmel, he dealt, he, he walked this thin line, this razor thin line where, his, where, where what he did and what he said and how he prayed, the, the whole nation was dependent upon it. This guy is stressed out physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now what happens when that happens? You get depressed. I mean, come on folks. Some of you need a vacation. Some of you just need to get away from the stress a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm talking about mothers who deal with kids. Now, you, at least you can say amen. I mean, you need to get out of the house. You need some rest. Isn't that correct? I mean, you can't keep on with your nose to the grindstone and not suffer for it in depression. Second thing he did was that he allowed, he allowed Elijah to talk about it. Now, watch this carefully. He raised, he started a question with a word that every psychologist say that you should start questions with. He started a question with what? What are you doing here, Elijah? 
Because when you ask a question like that, what it does is it elicits some kind of dialogue, some kind of response. What are you doing here? Let's talk about this. Get it off your chest, Elijah. Now when depression comes, one of the most dynamic and, 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 and helpful and healing things is to talk about it. Sometimes you just need to talk about it to the Father. Now, when he answered God, this is how he answered. I only one hadn't bowed his knee to Baal. And you can just sense the resentment in this man. I mean, it just oozes out his pores. I mean, there's anger there. He's resentful that nobody else in Israel is standing with him, he thinks. And there's even some anger that is directed toward God. You got me in this mess. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's being honest. He's telling it like it is. And he's able to ventilate with God to God. He's able to, to open up and share with God. It just has to be that that goes on when there is proclivity to depression. I got a marvelous book by Siemens called The Healing of Damaged Emotion. He has a marvelous illustration. He says, when you go out to, these, uh, to the sequoia trees out in California, he says, you cut those things, those trees down, these gigantic trees, and there are rings in the trunks of those trees, and those rings are little chapters in the autobiography of the tree. Here's a ring that suggests that there's been a drought, not enough water, not enough rainfall. Here's a ring that suggests too much rain, a year when there's too much rain. Here's one that suggests perfect conditions for growth. Here's one that suggests uh, you know, a parasite must have gotten among the trees. Here's one where there's a forest fire almost destroyed it. And he says that when you begin to peel away these rings, you get some idea about what went into the construction of the sequoia tree. Now, Seaman's contention is, is that when a person gets like Elijah, he has to sit down with somebody, if, if nobody else than God, I mean, can't be that kind of therapy, and just begin to unravel and take off like layers of onions these layers of one's life and just tell God about it. Now, now, where do we get these ideas or images that we have of ourselves? I mean, Elijah said, I'm no better than my father. Where do we get these mental images of ourselves? Well, we, it, come from, it comes from two or three things. One, from the outer world around us, the mirrors that we see in the people's faces and their response to us and what they say to us gives us, it causes us to view ourselves like that, like some father who calls his son stupid, uh, or some kid that comes out for the basketball team and he's picked last, you know, that kind of stuff. And we get these images of ourselves from the, from the world outside of us, and we get these images of ourselves from the world inside of us, how we feel about our personalities and our intelligence or lack thereof, and what we tell ourselves about what we can or cannot do. I'm not an athlete. I'm not, a, I'm not a good student, I can't sing, that kind of stuff. And we get these images third from Satan himself, he's the, the great deceiver, and we get these images from, we get an image of ourselves from God. Now what you do when you come to God in prayer and you are able to talk and dialogue with Him is that you find out really what He thinks about you. Now I want you to do two things tonight, I want you to write two things in the flyleaf of your Bible. I want you to do this really. Now, some of these days when I'm dead and gone and you're old, maybe I better back that up 
one of these days when you're dead and gone, and I'm older, I, I want you know you, you're going to be able to look and finally for your Bible. I want you to do. I want you to notice two things. Number one, I want you to practice this beginning tomorrow for seven days. This 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 exercise. The first thing you do when you get up in the morning, I want you to for the next seven days, I want you to ask this question to God: God, how much do you love me? Now you're not asking God, do you love me? You already know He does. I just want you to ask God, how much do you love me? And I want you to wait for his answer, okay, for seven straight days. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to write this in the fly leaf of your Bible, I am deeply loved, put that down, I am deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted, and complete in Christ. Need a little more time to do that one again? I am deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted, and complete in Christ. Put that on a little card or a fly leafy Bible, carry it around with you, and tomorrow I want you to pick that out and take a look at it. Now, what I'm trying to help you to do is this. I'm trying to help you to find out in your own heart and mind God's opinion of you, all right? So what he did when he got him out in Beersheba under a broom bush he asked Elijah, in essence, this question, Elijah, what is going on in your heart right now? Let's talk about it. Now, if you can't do that in dialogue with God, then you need to find you somebody, some counselor perhaps, somebody who knows what he's doing, sit down with him and talk about these feelings that you have about yourself. You've heard the story of Henry Ford and Charlie Steinitz. You heard that story? Charlie Steinmetz uh, was a dwarf. He was ugly, deformed, and, but he had a brilliant mind. He was an expert in electricity. He built the motors for Henry Ford's uh, big plants. And one day, those, some of those motors uh, started breaking down, and so they called some mechanics to fix them, but they couldn't. So Henry Ford wrote his friend, Charlie Steinmetz, and said, we've got some problems in our plant. We need your help. We need it right now. It's an emergency. So Charlie Steinmetz came, and just a little bit, he, he fixed it. He fixed the problem. And Henry Ford said, send me a bill. And Henry Steinmetz sent him a bill for $10,000. And Henry Ford wrote him back and said, Charlie, I mean, isn't that a little steep for, you know, for somebody piddling around? I mean, come on, give me a break. I mean, that's pretty steep for somebody piddling around a little while. So Charlie Steinitz wrote him back, and this is how he expressed Bill. He said, for piddling around, $10. For knowing where to piddle, $9,990. Okay, now, you need to be very careful about who you talk to because there's some folks that don't know where to piddle. I mean, they don't know what they're doing. Now, so, so when you, when you want to talk about it, just get alone with God every day and talk to Him about how you really feel. I mean, I am sick of this stuff going on, and I'm kind of upset at you for getting me in this mess. That's what you might want to say, and listen to how He talks to you about that. Okay? Third, man, time is creeping for y'all and flying for me. I know how it works. Number three. He gives us a task to perform. 
Now, if you look a little bit further, in fact, verse 15, and this is what it says, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you will anoint Hazael king, Hazael king over Aram. I got a job for you, Elijah. I got a king anointing I need you to do. I mean, it's no, it's no small job, I would say. I mean, here's a prophet. Here's a, here's a, here's a guy who wore, you know, sheepskin around and, uh, and woolly clothes, walked around in the country with a long hook stick, I guess. And God said, Elijah, you're a pretty important person in the kingdom. I want you to go anoint a king for me. I got a big job for you. Now, I mentioned this morning, forgot a second service, so if you're a first service, <laughs> I'm going to give it to you again. Uh, somebody asked Charlie Elliott, uh, Jim Elliott, who was the martyred missionary, Charlie's a friend of mine, Jim Elliott, who was uh, a missionary to the Alcas, about you know, how he viewed their work. And he said, we are just a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. Now, now, what God is saying to Elijah is this, Elijah, no use, you don't need to get ready to die because you've got something important left to do. And there is nothing any more um, uh, helpful and healthful than understanding that, that there is something left for you to do that's very important. If that's not true, God would have taken you to heaven when he saved you or you'd be dead now. I went out to a nursing home one time and, and this lady asked me to pray. She said, Gerald, what do you feel, how do you feel about praying that God will take me out of this world, get, get me out of this suffering, get me out of this misery? This was my answer. There is only one prayer that Jesus refused to pray and this was the prayer he refused to pray. Concerning his disciples, he said, I'm not going to pray that God will take you out of this world. I'm going to pray that you keep you from the evil one. Now, my answer to this poor person, easy for me to say, yeah, easy for me to say, you know, who is relatively healthy, if you can, if you can say obesity is healthy. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's easy for me to say, you know, that, that you know, God's not going to take you, but, but the fact is that if there wasn't something valuable for that person left in life exactly like they are, God would take them out. Now, there's nothing any more wonderful than to know that you got something left to do. A, 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 a layman was very depressed, and so he went to his pastor for counseling. When he showed up, his preacher said, Oh, I forgot about our counseling session, and i got to go to the hospital. Come go with me. And so he went to the hospital, and he went in these rooms, you know, and he prayed for these people, and he bring encouragement to them, and hey, this, this deacon, this, this layman, he got into it, man. I mean, they were just going from the room, praying, praying for folks, and reading scripture, and bringing hope, and, 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 and light, and happiness. When they got back to the office, he sat down with them, and the guy said, you know, this is, this is great. And he, he said, well, to be honest with you, that's my therapy session. I want you to see how much better you feel when you get outside of your shell, outside of yourself, and outside of your self-pity, and start living for somebody for a change. 
I got a job for you to do, he said. All right? Number, number four or three or 16, whatever it is. He gives us someone special with whom we can share our life. Now, what happens when a person gets a little depressed is they want to withdraw. I know that, I know that for, for a fact. Don't want to be around people, don't want to get around, you know, just want to get away from people. Get out of here and stay away. But the fact is, is that when, when God got ready to do with Elijah, a work in Elijah, you know what he did? He sent him Elisha. Now that is extremely significant. He sent him a significant other. What does the old boy said every night? He, when he went to bed, he just put his uh, trousers, hung his trousers on. Uh, 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 let, let me back it. Well, that's, I messed that one up. I'll move on. <laughs> every night prayed for somebody, you know, God to send somebody. You know, Mr. Uh, she prayed for Mr. It, and he prayed for Mrs. It. You know, Mrs. Wonderful. Oh boy, I got myself in a jam there. <laughs> the fact is, is that God gives us a significant person with whom we can share our joys and our, our life. Now, you guys are looking for that, waiting for that to happen, praying for that to happen. That does happen. And uh, you, know what I, you know what I've observed, and you know, I, I have a tendency to uh, maybe embarrass the people that I really, really love and respect by by just being, just how I feel. But, you know, I mean, I, I've observed these guys, these college students, and, you know, it, it, the, the amazing thing is, is that I'm not talking about boy and girlfriend. I'm talking about the, the people that God brings into the life of the folks that need somebody special. Uh, how many of you, uh, you know, uh, this college group here, have, have, have felt the the acceptance and the love of Michelle King or somebody like, you know, like that. Yeah. And, and God just brings into our lives those people that make a significant contribution to our need at that point in time. God does that. And so we look around and we discover those people that God has sent and we're thankful for them. One last thing is that God links our mind and our emotions up to thoughts of great, His greatness. Now, this is what He did. He took Elijah out and put him in this cave and he said, now uh, take a peek outside. And what he saw was this howling wind. And this howling wind began to shake the mountains and break them up and tear the rocks up. But God wasn't in the wind. And then he, then he saw this earthquake and this earthquake was just, you know, how earthquakes do if you've ever been in one. And then there was a fire that just melted everything in its path so that the valley looked like a blasting furnace. And God said, this is a tittle paraphrase, Elijah, you need to keep in mind, you need to understand that I've got power, and my power is such that I can move mountains, and I can burn down obstacles, and I can consume them, and I can destroy barriers, you need to link up with thoughts of my greatness and understand that there is nothing in this world that can stand up to my energy and power. There's no problem too great for me. Look at what happens a lot of times is that in our despair and our depression, we forget 
not only that we're not the only person who has never bowed his knee to Baal, but we forget the fact that God drops fire down from heaven in order to consume Baal. And he's the God of power and might. And if I understand not my weakness, but his greatness, wish I hadn't have done that. Right? As long as that laser, I won't know what time it is. We, we, we don't, unless we understand his greatness, we're going to worry about our weakness. And I'm depressed <laughs> that, I, that I drop that. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for letting us understand what, how you deal with us at every point in life. Give us a sense of what it's all about with regard to our need for our pray in Christ's name. Now, there might be some tonight who, someone tonight who needs to be saved. We sat back here in the office a little while ago and we talked about what baptism is, the meaning of baptism, and how, how we've come to trust and believe that, that Jesus died and rose again for our salvation. Have you, have you come to that point? Or maybe you need to come tonight just to say, I, I need to get my life in line with God and in concert with Him and His will. Whatever God wishes you for you, whatever his voice whispers for you, would you would you say yes while we stand to sing? Would you come?